for 14 years, he was at the helm of the Saskatchewan Chamber of Commerce. Before that, he was in the tourism business, promoting a province and a place that we love, both of us passionately. I'm talking about Steve McClellan. He's been with us before on the podcast, and he has, of course, been on the national stage in this country talking about issues that impact business and our provinces and our country. He's decided to retire crazy man. I don't know why. Uh, Lots of energy left in Steve, but he says he wants to travel. So Steve, welcome and great timing on your part uh, with the latest news. Uh, You're going to be what, traveling to the end of the block? I'm going to go down around the block a couple of times and then I'm going to reverse it because there's a whole new view from that perspective. No question. Uh, The recent announcements uh, have changed our plans a little bit, maybe even canceling some plans that are in place. But you know what? There's so much to do and see close by. I don't have to go too far to be thrilled. No, there is. And you would know that, obviously, from just living there. We all do. But you were also in the tourism business. So you actually know where many of the beautiful spots are in our beloved province. Well, you know, absolutely. And let me tell you, as much as I've enjoyed the last 14 years in my role as CEO of the Saskatchewan Chamber of Commerce, in 1979, I had the best job ever. And that was to be a flying fishing camp inspector. So I got to drive as a 20-year-old, not drive and fly, but mostly fly, to uh, across the great north of Saskatchewan. And I was on the territory's border. I was on many, many lakes. I was on uh, fishing off the pontoons of these, these uh, uh, aircraft we were in. It was an amazing experience. I want to see more of it, and I think I will. What have you learned? I know this is an impossible question, but I'm going to ask it in a couple of different parts. What have you learned about leadership in the last 14 years? Well, it, it's a good question. And there's, I'll, I'll, I'll say externally first. Uh, I've seen that the Canada and Saskatchewan and, and our business community, our tourism business and our political realm has been served very well by very many exceptional people who are committed to the communities that they've served. I would, uh, Madam Senator, I would put you in that category solid thinkers, people who are absolutely committed to their communities. I've seen many, many of those folks. I've also seen a deterioration of it from a public perspective in the last few years. People are not looking for a community solution. They are looking for a win. And that's not what Canada was built upon. I don't think it's what Saskatchewan's business community was built upon. And I've seen a a separation from that community benefit, community win, to, to individual and, and sometimes political, sometimes small p political. And I think that's a shame because we're not getting the results that we need. From a personal perspective in leadership, I've seen that uh, people like me who have been around the block a while, it's time for me to step away to, to do the things I want to do, certainly. But it's also time to get new leaders in place, give them the reins of organizations like this. And so I'm hopeful that when I'm replaced, it's with somebody who's got uh, fresher legs and, uh, and newer ideas. The world of technology has changed in the 14 years I've been here. The world of our business community, the fundamentals haven't, but the the way we do business and how well we do it globally has changed. And we need young leaders who can do that. And we've got them. We just get to give them the seat and the the, the controls, if you will, to do it. So leadership on all kinds of fronts have changed, but those basics are still there. Treat others as you would like to be treated and so on. Exactly. That is the the golden rule is still basically uh, the most important thing you can use and practice in any workplace. It doesn't matter whether it's Parliament Hill or 
mm-hmm. wherever you may be. Yeah. Could you have anticipated, and I'm just thinking just off, you know, the top of my head here, the 2008 financial crisis and the oil and gas devaluation and and droughts and floods and SARS and COVID and rising prices and inflation. I mean, this all impacts the people that you represent, businesses, large and small, but mostly the smaller ones that are in our cities and towns that are the heart of our community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we, I, we, two thoughts. One of them is we didn't impact uh, assume all those things were coming and, and we, shame on us, I guess. Some of them were really out of the blue, but should we have, and do we need to be better prepared? There's no question. We have, again, back to the, these, these very clever people, some older, some younger, we need to put them into rooms to say, okay, let's start to think about these things. And I, I use the example, you know, a world crisis, an economic crisis is one thing, hard to predict. You can see some of those things coming along and we should have acted sooner on some of them. But if you think about something like the tragedies and the um, economic and social and that are happening in, in BC with the, uh, with the uh, Abbotsford floods and so on, mm. we, we need to be ahead of that. We need to say that we can stop because we can figure out its infrastructure, right? Let's not exactly. build on floodplains and so on. We're not doing that. On a community basis, the things that really, really hurt us aren't the things like a global shut or a slowdown in oil. It's the geographic where uh, uh, Fort Mac burns, LaRange burns, uh, or these floods out there. That's what really hurts us and takes our homes and our families and throws them into asunder. I think we need to be more prepared for that as a business community and as a broader political community. You know, I hear from our emergency measures folks that every second community doesn't have an emergency measures plan. Shame on us. Yeah. Right? Or the fire truck doesn't have a battery. Those little things that we need to be better at and allow us to pre-plan, rehearse, rehearse, rehearse like our military does. And then when we need it, it's there. We're not doing that. We can't do it for every situation. But I'll tell you what, the, when, when 9-11 happened, after that, you, yeah. I don't care how wild your idea is. Let's figure out early how we might deal with it. So when it happens, if it happens or something similar, we're much better prepared. Pandemic is a really good example of that. We had no clue we didn't have PPE. We had no clue we didn't have the healthcare workers. And we had to count on our healthcare workers to work 24-7. Shame on us. And the military to be brought in to try and rescue old folks' homes. But it goes back to the, the place we started with the question of leadership. Um, we've got young and old in all different places, the Ottawa provincial capitals, everything we've got, you know, um, maybe not always the best and the brightest sign up for politics because your life is hell when you do that. Uh, but why can't we anticipate that? Is our attention span too short that we can only think about tomorrow and not next week? Well, it, it's it, it, attention spans because of things like phones and instant ratification. You don't have to ask a question very long because you can find the answer to just about everything. Yeah. There is that immediacy to anything we ask and think about. And it's short term and not a depth of, of conversation sort of reality. However, that's that's a situational analysis. That's not the answer. The answer is we have to do these things. And so what do we need to do to do it? I think, yeah, we need we need politicians who can do it. And we have some great politicians. But the system that we put them into, the criticism we put them under on a constant basis through Twitter and whatever else is out there, we've got to say as Canadians, we're going to stop doing that. Stop that cheap shot 
garbage because it's not productive. If we want our leaders to lead, let's let them lead. And sometimes they lead us into streets and places that may not be ideal. And then they're clever enough and strong enough people to say, oops, made a mistake. We're going to back up. We're going to go down this other route. But at least we're moving forward. And what we do is put them into a paralysis mentality because we don't give them the leeway to lead. And again, uh, if we as citizens said, not only do we demand that you lead, we're going to be respectful that if you take us down a path that's not the right one, then you, you stop and we go down another one, we're still moving forward. It's still forward progress. We, we have to be more patient, but we also need to be a part of the solution. The other part of the solution thing I'll reference on this is sharing the ideas. So I mm-hmm. talked about community uh, floodplains as an example. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of people that know a lot about floodplains and the scientists would say, don't build on them because I don't care whether it's one in 50 or one in 25 or one in 500, it is going to flood. Simple as that. So let's listen to the people who know what they're talking about and come up with better ideas and put them into place. And that's what leadership is to say, we've got the best ideas and we're going to put them into place. And the naysayers, there'll always be naysayers. There's the cheap seats forever, but yeah. let's let those people keep harping and stop giving them oxygen. Stop but, listening to them. But we see, well, there's there's a couple of things. I mean, obviously, I don't know how you're going to stop the Twitters of the world. Nobody wants to run for office and be in politics because anything that you said or did 29 years ago when you were 11 is going to be uh, regurgitated and, you know, then your life. So we've got that issue. Um, but we've also got this sort of short-termism and, and the the embrace of slogans. I mean, everything in the world that goes wrong now is climate crisis, right? Whereas you have quite rightly pointed out, we've got some real infrastructure problems in our cities and towns. We have boil water advisories in my town all the time, um, not to mention what's going on on the, res- on the reserves, on the First Nations. So, I, I mean, it, it's, it's coming at people from both sides and there's no incentive for them necessarily to do the right thing. Yeah, you're right. And, and But again, this is, I'll start with an individual responsibility and certainly organizations and politicians and political entities have responsibilities too. But if we take it back to an individual basis, we have a responsibility to say, no, you know, I'm not going to get passionate about what's the lead story on the Suppertime News tonight or something I read on Twitter. And then tomorrow I'm going to get passionate about something else. If you think it's a big deal, and I'll go back to Afghanistan, which is an issue very close to you, should be a critical issue. We did not solve it, but the media came and went. Yeah, and that's too bad because those people are still in that challenging situation. The, the flood preparations that we didn't see happen in British Columbia, that we will forget about them by spring. And there'll be an odd story that somebody says, here's some good success story of a restaurant that opened in Merritt, BC. Great, that's good to see. But we didn't we didn't solve it. And we left it with those people who are still knee deep in mud and sludge and no solutions. We need as a country to be less immediate and so distracted, that squirrel mentality. We've mm-hmm. got to say as thinking Canadians, for all and only people that are listening to this podcast, as, out of respect for you, are thinking, they, they are the thinkers. They are the smartest audience in Canada perhaps not because i'm on it but because you're leading it uh, i think uh, so i think so but i carry think you're on. right we need <laughs> we need all of them to say stop letting the squirrel distract you that shiny thing that's here or there gone stop it find those things that you're passionate about find those things that you have expertise on and find a solution and until that's done don't move on because this 
you know, in and get in and out of things we're passionate about is it's it's a terrible way to live, and it's a terrible way for a country to move forward. Yeah, the that's the problem with the attention span. I mean, the Afghan situation is is such a blatant example of people to whom we made a commitment. Yeah. Um, they they stood alongside and fought alongside our our men and women, and then we said, "Oh, too bad, so sad." We um, forgot to send any planes. We yeah. took our diplomatic staff out. Oh well, next time. Yeah. Um, you know that is not who we think we are. So our behavior isn't reflecting our self-image. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. And, and that's the irony. That's where I think if you go back to who, who are we and take a quiet moment as Canadians and say, who are we and what's our, our relationship to the world? And you think about, uh, you know, places like our relationship with the Netherlands and the fact that their princess uh, was in our, uh, in our hospitals and we designated a part of a hospital room to be uh, Dutch territory. We did great things. In, yeah. in in the Afghanistan and tulips every year yes. exactly and yeah. those people over there if, if European or if Canadians go to Europe those those people they say you're Canadian you're like a brother to me come back yeah. cousin come to my home and so on that's who we think we are and yet yeah. we've lost it and Afghanistan is, is is a good example and here's the reality in the Chamber of Commerce world our single biggest issue in Saskatchewan right now is lack of labor well, we've got a bunch of people who are ready to go to work in any occupation that we can we can think of that are sitting in a in a place in Afghanistan or in India or wherever they would love to come here. We, we've got a problem and a solution. We can't yeah. put those pieces together. And part of it is because we didn't think about it and have it planned out in advance. And then when we give it to modern day Ottawa, modern day Regina, in some examples, different levels of government, they can't react fast enough. The risk intolerance is so high that they go, well, what if something went wrong? Well, I tell you what, on most of this stuff, something's going damn wrong right now. Just not exactly. to us, to the people that we committed to. That's, I mean, I think that's a really interesting point. The, the degree to which we have become so risk averse, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because of course, if you do anything wrong, then yep. you're gonna be a pariah um, on the news and in the newspapers. But, but that's the issue. We have to take some risks. I literally get texts and emails every day from people in Afghanistan. I'll get my phone and show you who say, we will live in a tent. Yeah. We don't care how cold it is. We know how to work and we will. Yeah. And there's a solution to a problem. Exactly. And all we need to do is to say, let's get the paperwork figured out when they get here, not yeah. into a tent. But we have, as you know, across right. the country, we've got the, uh, thousands of hotels that are just ready, willing and able to put anybody into them. Pretty empty these on. days. Yeah. And, and with the Afghani family, that would be so thankful. And all of our families generally, with the exception of our indigenous uh, neighbors, uh, uh, our um are uh, you know our immigrants and when they put their feet on the ground for the first one whoever our relative was they were very thankful what this country could offer them this was the land of opportunity we've done it well over the generations with immigrants we need to do it very well with this and particularly when there's an acute need from them to come here not just for work but for life uh my golly it's a sad day when we as canada who we think we are isn't being delivered on the ground and that's one example there's others across the country across the globe as well one of the things that troubles me a lot is the disconnect in this country. When we talk about climate or energy, there are 
huge swaths of the population in this country that don't know what it's like to drive down uh, a, a highway when it's 40 below. And uh, you need your car to work and you need oil and gas uh, to keep your house warm and your car warm and your family fed. And those that live in the city who don't need to have a car because they can jump on the subway system. It seems to me that on the, it's a rural-urban split on one level, but it's also kind of a worldview split of people who just don't see this country the same way because they don't experience it the same way. Yeah. You know, I have an old belief that I'll never get in place, but I think people should not get a passport to leave the country until you can prove you've been at four in four different provinces to meet that person in PEI and the Yukon and sit down with them and figure out what they are. And 90% of what we think, you know, we want a good job. We want a nice home. We want to be able to see our children raised, raised with some degree of education and success and so on. We're very similar that way. Our beliefs are pretty much the same, but we don't get across the country to see each other too easy and too cheap, quite frankly, to go to Mexico instead of going yeah. to those countries. So we it's need to do to that. It's cheaper to go to Mexico than across the country. That is and true. No, no <laughs> question. So we need to figure that out. And we need to encourage Canada to see Canada. And we're not doing that. Our tourism people don't necessarily promote it the way I, I would argue we could, as one example. But uh, the, the bottom line is, um, it, it, once we do that, once we share a cup of coffee, we're going to find that, you know, okay, now I understand why the West is so energy Reliant. Not only does it contribute lots to the rest of Canada's economic value, but it also is absolutely critical for you to survive in the West. And and it, they don't even know, if you will, in any of the parts of the East, how many Newfoundlanders work in the oil patch and how many people work in a plant in Toronto that makes things that were, are bought out here. There's that lack of information. And instead of that information sharing, that intelligence gathering and sharing, there's that that fight, that, that, oh, well, oil's got to be bad, or, or, or yeah. it's the West is just greedy. None of that is the truth. And uh, when, when the information isn't provided uh, clearly with, with the science behind it, people fill it with, with crap. And uh, the internet provides a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, I just hear it in debates on Parliament Hill every single day about, you know, um, just as recently as yesterday, our, our oil is filthy and dirty. Well, actually, we have some of the cleanest energy in the world and in Saskatchewan and Alberta. We're actually leading the way on, on the greening of energy supply. Yeah. Well, and, and the interesting thing is that person in, on Parliament Hill who would have that comment, I won't ask who it is, doesn't matter who it is, but too many of them, they go, well, didn't I really bang on the west uh, uh, yeah. bravado and then they hop in their car when they drive home on and drive it on on a refined oil from saudi arabia yeah and back to where and who we think we are as as canadians we are not dictatorships we are not places that treat women or or we don't have the class system that they have there we have safety records we have human rights practices that are leading the world we have environmental practices that are better than ever but that person who thought that they could win some political votes if you will by suggesting our oil is not bad doesn't know the facts and they they need to be quiet until they do that and uh, i won't suggest uh, i won't think <laughs> you won't give me any overnight. suggestions on how to do that eh? yeah well <laughs> 
I'll leave no, that. I think I think there's a real, um, you know, people are going past each other with the rhetoric because, yeah. as you say, the rhetoric sells, and everybody wants to have the check mark, you know, be woke and be in favor of all of these things. So even if they know better, they don't care. They're still yes. going to make that point. That that's the challenge. We're back to the citizens. We need to call them on it to say, you as an MP in the House of Commons, how dare you? How dare you knowingly spout stuff you know that is inaccurate, that you're misleading people? And this is the same on the on the vaccination scenario. Any yep. uh, federal politician or provincial who knows that the science is on the side of vaccinations, that knowingly goes the other way to, to win a couple of local, uh, you know, out of boys on Twitter or something, shame on you. And we need to call them out on it. And the same thing, I, I, I don't spend much time on Twitter because I think it is a sewer. But I also believe that those people who do do it need to call out those other people who say blatantly incorrect information. It's not the opinions. You can have your own opinion. You can't have your own set of facts. The facts are very clear on vaccines. I think we need to start to recognize that. And particularly when it's our leaders, who will do things like the oil and gas sector and trash the West to get a couple of local attaboys. We need to, as Canadians, not Western Canadians, as Canadians, we need to say that's wrong. And I'm calling you out on it. And we're, we're seeing it again today as, as fear and concern, uh, concern quite rightly mounting because of possibly another wave, but then you can't use that fear to get your political way. That's you know, right. to say, oh, well, we're going to just shut down debate and, and just vote for all our legislation because, you know, it's too risky to have a debate on this. That's yeah. just too convenient. Well, and that's that's part of the process back to let's plan this stuff out. I mean, yeah. with all due respect to how complicated it is to bring all of our MPs and our Senate together, it is complicated. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of moving parts, but it's not brain surgery. <laughs> right. We have people every single day doing things way more complicated. So if the people right. in charge of those processes can't do it and if they can't do it because of political reasons, like, we, you know, we want to make sure we get there. We said 11, you said 12, that minuscule stuff. We need yeah. a few grandmothers in there to grab <laughs> those people by the ear, yank them out and say, you're out. I have a philosophy. And this is a good one in negotiations. I'll be very brief. But in, in the world of hockey. We have referees, and the job of this center is to be at the at the circle and be prepared to get the puck to allow the game to continue. That's their job. If they don't do their job because they're messing around or flipping their stick or they're not there, the referee wisely waves them out, says, you didn't do your job, bring in a winger. They're going to do it. That's what we need to do. Those people that are going to mess up democracy, mess up what is uh, 150 years of of, of very effective governance, you're out. You couldn't do your job, boom, done, out. Whether it's an MP or it's a, a house leader, and I would take it to the provincial level as well. Yeah. We need so to we start can have to our people. elections, but then bring in the grandmothers. Yeah. <laughs> That's honestly what my mother, a teacher, used to do is the big strapping boys who were mouthing off and not paying attention, she literally went over and grabbed them by the ear and took them out of the classroom. Of course, now you can't do that because. Well, those boys grew up to be pretty solid, respectful people, <laughs> yes. I would argue. And I so, do uh, think they learned the lesson yeah. on the um, on the rural urban issue, because I, I remember we had this discussion the last time we spoke that 
again about decision making and how it's made and and in our great wisdom we decided that the walmarts of the world could stay open but the stores in small towns that actually where people have no other choices we had to close them down um they do seem the smaller the rural areas do always seem to take a larger hit is that just me whining because i'm from a small place well it's it's no it isn't just you whining because you're from a smaller place it's it's a fact and there, there's two reasons for that one of them is you see it more closely i do have alternatives in regina where i live i can go to the the larger stores or even some of the smaller stores that we're allowed to or whatever the case might be so you see it a little closer it's the of those 12 or 15 stores in wadena you see it closer the other issue to that, though, is back to our earlier conversation about planning. Um, what you know, Pandemics are not new. We should have had it thought about. And, and quite frankly, with all the good work, and I'd be the last guy to suggest that particularly our frontline health workers and all of the people in Saskatchewan and Canada who've worked on this, it hasn't been easy. But I also think that when you start a process like a pandemic planning, not pre-planning, but when it, we know it hits, you put six people in a room who are very clever and say, here's what I want you to figure out. I don't think we need it today, like closing stores, but I want you to figure out the pros and cons. And in that room, I need to have not just government bureaucrats that are risk intolerant. I need small town people. I need large city people. I need a Walmart manager and I need a small town co-op manager because tell me what the implications are. And if you get too political and you, I, I see or we have a sense that you're only advising us for your own personal interest, not the community good, then boom, I'm going to be that referee. You're not doing your job. You're out. We're bringing another co-op manager in who can do it or another Walmart manager. There's ways we can do it for the community good. And most, most Saskatchewan people, I think Canadians, would certainly offer that advice. We need to do it in advance because once it's a crisis situation, you've got three hours decided, you're going to make mistakes. Let's not do that. So as we sit here facing another potential crisis that's going to impact all of your members and all of the doors that we knock on, especially at this time of year, going to buy gifts and celebrate and do a variety of things, we still have got to get back to that fundamental question of lives versus livelihoods and how we balance that. I don't even know if it's possible. Well, it, first off, don't, don't make the assumption that I think governments have, is that there is uh, uh, there needs to be one or the other. We need to find it again, with pre-planning, here's the deal. Did we need to have the full Walmart open? Not necessarily, but by not opening it all, we restricted some of those jobs. So there, there's realities to that. I think there is a way for us to do this. And I'll tell you what, uh, whether you're going in, there's two people in a store, one of the three people. One is the owner uh, who's concerned about his economic sustainability. He's also concerned about the staff person and he's worried about the person coming in. Then there's the customer that's there that says, listen, I need to spend I, to buy these gifts for Christmas or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but he wants to know who else is in the store. Are they going to be safe? Have they done the sanitation? And then in the middle of the two of them, of course, it's the poor staff person who is trying to figure out whether or not uh, this person that comes in, I, do I need to have, see the, uh, the, uh, the passport or for their uh, vaccinations and so on. It's very complicated. But the bottom line is they all have a, a shared objective. I want to be safe. I want you to be safe. And I want this store to be open today and next time I come as well. So there's ways to do this that make good sense. And quite frankly, I would argue to your example of the Walmarts and so on, there are some things that we left open in Saskatchewan particularly, I'm sure other provinces as well, we didn't need to. 
And yeah. we should have said, you know, where people do need that access, those smaller stores, because they don't have the bankroll or, or the ability to finance their closures like a Walmart would. We need to be cognizant of that. It doesn't mean that automatically because Walmart's bigger that they get to close, they have more money or have to close. But yeah. we have to be cognizant that there's jobs involved, there's customers involved, there's supply chains involved. And having people who know what to do sitting in a room in advance, you can plan that stuff out. We need to have it planned now for next time. The impact of COVID on uh, chambers of commerce members across this country is profound. If you look at the numbers of people who have moved to Amazon or whatever it is, and, and they're not coming back because they're sitting in their homes and not only was it easy, but it was convenient and, and safe. Um, what are we going to do about that? That's a very good question. And just yesterday and just before this, our meeting today, we had a conversation with uh, both Innovation Saskatchewan here and uh, Prairie's Can, our new Western diversification entity, about what they can do to work with us to do it. We have to find a solution to it. I don't believe Amazon is the enemy. I think they are oh, an exceptional it. business that have done well. I have a belief that says that uh, I work hard to make my money. I'm not going to work hard to spend it. So if somebody can allow me to get what I need by sitting in my easy chair at home with a nice glass of wine and my cell phone, and I can do all my Christmas shopping, that's the new reality. So our Saskatchewan businesses, we need to figure out how to do it. What we're trying to do, and many provinces, uh, chambers have done it already, uh, is create a digital integration program that where businesses can get the information and some supports if necessary to make their business, whether you're renting a bobcat or selling a bobcat uh, excavator, or you're buying uh, crafts or a, a quart of milk, we've got to make it easy for people to spend their money because the competition has made it easy. So whether you're a, long, a small business or a large business, uh, we need to get better at it. And, and as consumers, we need to be able to spend a little more time some days to go to find that local. But uh, it doesn't mean that I would, I would be uh, lying to myself and to someone if I said, never go to the big boxes, never go to anybody that uh, isn't 100% local. That's not what you're going to do. That's not where the market's yeah. going. And not realistic. Yeah. Not realistic. Yeah, I mean, I think we have seen the flip side too, which is a lot of people supporting local and going to the store with the door and doing all of those things um, because it has been easier. I, you know, I know where everybody has been in my town and I, and so I know what's safe, you know, so yeah. there is, uh, there's some certainty in that as well. We've got, we've got a strange confluence of events though here too, because as, P, as, as the economy was just starting to come back and people were going out to restaurants and starting to travel a bit and do all of that, we then are seeing this spike in inflation and prices and uh, inevitably in taxes. The carbon taxes, of course, will keep going up, but others will as well. So this is going to be another kind of dangerous moment, economically speaking, where we've got new pressures on the business and, and prices also going up. We are coming into winter in so many ways, economically, yeah. uh, seasonality and so on. But, but here's the reality. Uh, as we have learned in Saskatchewan, when you go into winter, make sure you have a shovel, make sure you have a bag in the car, make sure your battery is good and, and this sort of thing and your windows are not leaking air. All those kinds of things are common sense nowadays. And, yep. and we're well beyond that, of course. So we're prepared for it. It's the same thing with the economy. The economy is going to change. Prices will go up. But don't worry about the headline as much. People ask me all the time, what about this inflation risk? I go, forget about it, right? 
just put the same amount of money out. Expect prices are going to go up because they do all the time. In some cases, they're two-in-year catch-up prices, uh, no question, because they haven't been increased over the last year for a variety of reasons. And we've been imp impacted certainly by the supply chain. So to forget about it, obviously, for businesses particularly. It's naive, but don't spend your whole night going, oh my gosh, I wonder if the sky is falling because prices are going up. They're going to go up. News alert. They're going to go up. What you need to do, as businesses have done all the time, is to say we need to be prepared for that and figure out ways to create efficiencies or to find other supply chains and so on. And when we do that, we've seen success. It's exactly the same thing as all of our theme of this conversation. Be prepared by thinking about it beforehand. So when you go into the grocery store and you go, golly, it's you know, 12 bucks for a jug of milk. Um, find another place to buy it or a way a recipe that doesn't have that much milk. In Saskatchewan, for years, the people that live in Stony Rapids and so on, they've had to pay 12 and 25 bucks for a four liter jug of milk. They figured out ways around it. We will figure out ways around it. So don't waste time worrying. Spend time thinking about how you're going to work and, around it. And maybe things. we will just have to do with a little less. I mean, that's... Yeah may just be reality. One of the things you did um, just as you were uh, getting set to leave is, is you've created for the chamber an indigenous, an indigenous engagement charter. Now we know these are big issues in every province. In our province, it's very real. And it's everything from, as we said earlier, boil water advisories to um, the legacy of, of residential schools. What, what do you want to do with this charter? Well, we, we've, we, we've seen great success with it. We've seen the lights come on in businesses and individuals. We've, had, we've trained over 2,000 people in terms of uh, Indigenous awareness. And I've had people that I've known for a long time that are very intelligent, well-educated people who have worked with Indigenous communities for a long time that said, I didn't know what I didn't know. So that's the first thing. I want people to use this uh, this window of opportunity and, and uh, there's an awoke moment to it, if you will, a woke moment uh, yeah. that we need to take advantage of as a country to say you need as Canadians to understand what this is. We have some great leaders in the Indigenous community and the economic and the social side, Chief Cadmus Delorme is one, who has said, listen, you know, anybody that's listening to me today, they didn't create the residential school system, so don't own it, but, but know what you know now and, and act differently in the future. We have in Saskatchewan particularly, the greatest opportunity in the world to more fully engage through educational success, employment success, business success, our indigenous population to the full extent that, that our regular population is. We have a built-in Saskatchewan solution to our labor market by engaging those people and with the young people that are coming up that are indigenous, we've got huge opportunities there. We need to see them as opportunities and work with the communities to make sure that we're taking every advantage that we can to give those people the life that they want and deserve. We can't forget about the past. There's no question. That's where our training helps people understand that. But we can't dwell on it either. And we have to move on to do the reparations that are necessary to do the reconciliation. But I tell you, one of our uh, former premiers here uh, said it best, uh, Lauren Calvert, a very intelligent man, a great leader. He said the best social policy is a good job. So let's try and get the education, the skills, and the jobs for these individuals. And I tell you what, that's the best path in economic reconciliation. So don't feel as Canadians or as Saskatchewan residents, we have to take ownership of the past, but we do have the opportunity because of what we know to take ownership of the future. We do that together. Our charter and other efforts that are being done, they'll have great success. And we need to celebrate that, but keep that push moving forward. 
Now, Steve McClellan, you're a young guy. Um, you're going to retire and you're going to fish and go to the fishing holes at the right time of year where you can actually do the fishing. You're going to travel a little, little bit more when we can. But you are a guy that is, you're an incredible volunteer. I mean, I can't even list all the things you're involved in that don't have anything to do with your day job. Um, what What is still left to be done for you because you're gonna have some time on your hands yeah so what's it gonna be well there's a there's a lot of things um uh people ask me if i'm gonna get bored and i said if i get bored it's my own damn fault so shame (laughs) on me i don't think i will but i'm i'm active with the rcmp heritage center here in regina it's i'm it's it's a passion for me i think telling the story of canada and the role of the mounties in it good bad and challenging of course Uh, there's some there's several stories, but there's some great stories every single day across the country. A Mountie runs towards the challenge when everybody else runs away. We need to be able to celebrate that success and, and share that story again uh, with, with Canadians. So I'm going to spend some time there. I'm on a Red Cross committee here in Saskatchewan. I think the work that they do is outstanding. Our United Way in Regina and across the province, they help kids uh, improve literacy levels at an amazing rate. And I, I think there's some opportunities there where I can sit and read with kids of nothing else or help them do different things. Uh, I'm going to see Saskatchewan. I've had the blessings in my career and my private life to travel literally all four corners. I want to see more of it. Uh, and there's some places I dipped my toe into, but didn't spend a lot of time geographically. The Wood Mountain area, Cypress Hills. Uh, we have some amazing places in Saskatchewan. This fall, my wife and I drove out to the Sunshine Coast, went to uh, Gibson's and, and Molly's Reach, an iconic place. Hadn't been there in my life. I want to see more of those. And I want to sit across the table with more Canadians and see what they're thinking about and and, and learn from them as I've had the advantage of over my career. But uh, mostly I want to get to Wadena and get to Pamela Wallen Avenue and do some okay, shopping. Okay, you're, you're coming to Wadena, that's for sure. We Can, can we talk into coming to the Senate as well? Or uh, No, because that's, that's real work. I want to do some real fishing. Yes. <laughs> Steve, it's just so great to talk with you. And I, I just want to say... Thank you on behalf of the the people of Saskatchewan, because, boy, you have been been there for us through all these crises. You're a guy who just does stuff and gets things done. And and I know you're going to keep doing that. So it's not like we'll lose you, but um, we just won't be able to find you quite as easily. But I will hunt you down. Okay. yeah, I'll I'll make sure that we connect often. And uh, I appreciate it. Thank you for your kind words. And thanks for your constant and long term leadership of of Saskatchewan and Canada. You've been a, a, a flag bearer for us. And as a Saskatchewan guy, I, I know it and I applaud it. And uh, I will uh, continue to work in your shadow and, and do as much <laughs> as I can. That's okay. Deal. That's what we'll do. We'll just both sing each other's praises here because I All really right. mean it. All right, Steve, good luck. Congratulations. And thank you again for all that you've done and for being with us. Every time we ask. (laughs) Thank you very kindly. My pleasure. All the very best. Merry Christmas to everyone. Merry Christmas. You take good care. Bye-bye now.